Good afternoon and welcome to Real Faith. I am Robbie and this is my lovely co-host Katie. Hello. And today we've also got joining us Lyle from The Breakfast Show. Yes, the other... There I am. There oh, I, I'm alive. I'm alive. It's great. Okay. I was going to say, your other lovely co-host over here, Lyle. That's exactly right. But not as so lovely, lovely as the other one. Yeah, it, I, I don't think I'd get off too well if I said that you were the lovely <laughs> of the that's co-host. Right, that's seeing right. As, <laughs> seeing as the other co-host is also my wife. So I was going to say, there is more to this story than just the fact that uh, she's your co-host. Katie is also your wife, right? Hey, oh, I'm, Katie. I'm a lucky man. A yes. very lucky man. How long have you guys been married for? I think it will be... Three months later this week. Okay, so, so we have a radio yeah, show fresh. being run by newlyweds. How awesome is that? It could be a little dangerous, but I think it's also going to be really, really exciting. I think it's going to be an adventure. I think it's going to be fun, and I think there's a very good chance I'll wind up in the doghouse a few times if I'm not careful. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you guys going today? Yeah, awesome. Great. Good guns. Well, this is good Absolutely news. Absolutely amazing. This is fantastic. I'm super excited to have... Uh, Robbie and Katie doing an afternoon show, and to get to be a part of your inaugural show is like it's a privilege. Oh man, I'm pretty stoked. I'm super stoked. It was beautiful. I got up this morning and went and watched the sunrise, got a nice surf in to get the morning started, kind of de stress those nerves about being on air. Yeah, like while, while I was in here slogging away on That's the exactly show. right. That's exactly right. <laughs> no, we have a good time. That's it, man. That's it. So I just want to introduce the show to to you. So the show is called Real Faith and over the next uh, however long we're doing it I suppose the idea is that we're going to be encountering the God of Scripture and as we go through Scripture together we want to ask the question what application does this have to real life because I believe everything that God has revealed in his word is applicable to real life and I believe that that's where the rubber hits the road that a real faith is a lived faith. And so that's what we're going to be exploring on this show. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking specifically at encountering Jesus. So we're going to take some time during the show to do some Bible study, and we're going to dig into a few people from the gospel stories who met Jesus and what their life was like beforehand and how he impacted their life. So that's a bit about what we're going to be doing with this show. I'm super excited. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think this is going to be amazing. I uh, yeah, well, I'm particularly I like your testimony section that you've got there, where we we find out how people's lives are impacted by Jesus, and to have a Bible study to just you know unpack different experiences of you know Jesus impacting people's lives and seeing how we can actually apply that to ourselves. It's going to be truly amazing. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Looking forward to hearing some real stories about faith from some real life people now. And um, today's show is going to be awesome, guys. I'm super stoked about it. We're going to be hearing a bit of a personal testimony from Lyle, and we're going to be looking at Mark 5 and the story of the demoniac. We've got Erica Monique coming up with Ask, Seek, and Knock. his own so why would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul Let it ring, echo it loudly 
find Charlie find The way, the truth And the life Is in Christ Jesus What would it profit A man If he gains the whole world But loses his soul What would it profit A man If he gains the whole world But loses his soul He gains nothing That was Ask, Seek, Knock by Eric and Monique. Beautiful. So we've now come to this portion of the show called What a Weird and Wonderful World. And it just this morning as I was thinking about it, I just, I just had that song in my head. You know the song. I, I know you're all singing it right now in your mind. Just, I see trees of green. Yeah, yeah okay. you know. No, oh, come on. It's no? going in out. I, 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 I <laughs> never sing songs mind. in my mind like that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to hand it over to Katie, who's got some fun facts for us about what a weird and wonderful world we live in. Absolutely. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it's easy to actually forget how wonderful and weird our world is. Uh, just yesterday, I was babysitting some kids to help out a friend of mine, and we were doing some homeschool because, you know, school is in the home at the moment. And I decided we need to get outside. So we went on a scavenger hunt. And as we went outside into the backyard and I was telling him to go find different things, 
Seeing their excitement in nature just reminded me of how wonderful sometimes the simple things are that we often overlook. And so today I hope we can share with you some wonderful and weird facts about the world that we live in. So I want to share with you guys something that I think is absolutely incredible. And um, Lyle and Robbie, I hope you like the ocean. I know Robbie loves the yes, ocean. Yes, my favourite my favorite part of the world is the ocean. Fans. covers two-thirds of the planet. It's a good thing to have yeah, as your favourite. Like, we, we have saltwater blood over this, this end of the studio. Fantastic, because that's what we're going to be talking about in a sense today. So glowing dolphins. Yes, you heard it, glowing <laughs> dolphins. Now, you're probably right. wondering, I love it. I love yes. it. where is this going? Okay. Now, I don't what know if anyone... What is she making up this time? <laughs> <laughs> Not making it up. I don't know if anyone has seen any recent videos online or on YouTube, but there have been glowing dolphins. This is not a nuclear leakage or dolphins wearing um, glow sticks around their neck. It's genetic engineering. I know it. I know it. It's genetic engineering. It's now, happening. We're looking at bioluminescence. and there, Ooh, yes. cool. That sounds good. There has been, uh, yeah, some recent cases which um, some of our listeners may have seen online um, on, the nor- on the coast of California. Yes, bring the California. <laughs> that was your home in the past, wasn't it? It is, it is. Absolutely. Was, was. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's been a mass bioluminescence caused by what they call the red tide or it's the aggregation of dinf... Oh, you got it, you got it. This is so much fun. This is <laughs> so much fun. I had this before and now it's, I'm trying to share it live. That, Sounds like dinosaurs, uh, I think. It does. Dino, oh, dinoflagellates, dinoflagellates <laughs> I think it you. is. Thank you, that's exactly, I was saying that before. It's okay, I looked it up earlier today, so I knew how to say it. It was. I'm not that smart. Yeah, that's right. I was practicing it just before we came live to air. Anyway, this is single cells um, that are in organisms, organisms sorry, that light up. And um, yeah, you can see it there. We see this all through nature. We see it in the ocean. We see it um, in... Uh, number of insects and all sorts but mm. I want it before I share some interesting facts about this I wanted to ask you guys do you have any personal experiences of seeing this in nature in this wonderful world itself I absolutely Sam, absolutely I've got a heap of them actually yeah, so, so as a surfer I have to ask you this you're a surfer mm. I'm not a surfer yeah um, I'm a sailor, but you're a surfer. Yeah, yeah. Do you get bioluminescence coming out of the tail of the surfboard when you're you know cruising down the face of a wave? I have never seen it while surfing, but I have swum in it. Okay. Yeah. So over at Murray's Beach, out in you know the Lake Macquarie region, New South Wales, one one night I was out looking at the stars with a couple of my mates, and we walked out, and I threw a rock into the water, and it just glowed this beautiful green color, right? And like sometimes it's just really quick. You like you throw it, boom, it's gone. That's it. But this time I just kept. I got a stick and I started to stir it and stir it, and it just kept coming out. Right, like it just kept glowing the whole time. So I decided, dude, I don't care that it's the middle of August, the middle of winter. It's time <laughs> for a swim because yeah. you never get this experience again, perhaps. So we dove in, and man, it was incredible. You're like paddling, and the lights flashing in your eyes. You're a little terrified. Is there a shark? Because you know, well, you'd be able to see if there was. That's a shark. exactly right. But you'd yeah. see him for like hundred meters away. Oh, here, comes a, here comes a glowing shark. You know, the shark would be like, oh, bum, bioluminescence. How can I get out of here? That's exactly right. What about you, Lyle? What's one of your experiences? Oh man, bioluminescence is the best when you're sailing at night. Mm. Okay, so sailing. You just just picture this. You've got you've got that a dark night, a little bit of moonlight, stars. You've got the ocean. I'm there already. You've got a gentle breeze, right? Wow. And you've got silence except for the sound of the wind 
and the water rushing past the boat oh. and this stream of bioluminescence coming out the stern, you know, oh, wrapping, wow. its, wrapping itself around... the back the, of the boat, by the way. Yeah, ra- wrapping itself around the rudder and just, and just streaming out behind the boat. And so you just, you're just sailing on this path. You're creating this path as you go of bio... Bioluminescence. It is the most amazing experience. Oh, that is so cool. Everybody needs to experience sometime in their life. That is so rad. Here's some facts for you guys on this. Did you know that a whopping 76% of ocean animals are bioluminescent? So How three awesome out of every four animals in the ocean. Then. I'm feeling ripped off as being a land creature all of a sudden. It's yeah, like, like where's my glowing dongle like from three, my forehead? There's like three <laughs> bioluminescent land and creatures. This and awesome feature. It helps them for like different things with communication. It helps them find prey. It helps them camouflage, reproduction, a whole heap of amazing things. So look out in the ocean and um, keep your eyes out for yeah, trying to check out some of this wonderful and weird things in our ocean oh that's so awesome so cool thanks for sharing that katie we're gonna go to a song by chris rice called how great thou art He bled and died to 
take away my sin Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee How great Thou art, how great Thou art Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee how great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then I shall And there proclaim, my God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. Welcome back. So we're going to move on to our next segment of our show, and we're going to be sharing a little bit of your journey uh, with Jesus, really, Lyle. So this is the time for to testify, you know, to to hear a bit Let of an encounter with of someone's real personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it over to you and let you tell us a little bit more about your story. And I guess the first question I really want to ask is. What like like how did you encounter Jesus? Yeah, that's a that, well, what a huge question. I've got six <laughs> minutes to cover this story. Okay, so I grew up in southern Tasmania, and for those who who, who might be unaware of it, that is the promised land. Um, <laughs> so I grew up there. He, he showed us the scar earlier. It's true. And <laughs> more or less a single parent home. Um, and to cut a long story short, when I was fifteen years old, I kind of left home. And wow. Wow. I, I was I was basically homeless, but living in the bush rather than you know on a, on a, on the street or something like that. So you know, an abandoned apple picker's hut sort of didn't have any running water or electricity. It was a great adventure. Um, picked up an apprenticeship as a cabinet maker. Now I'd grown up in a Christian home. Mm. Um, you know, my father was was and is just a, a a godly man who really loves the Lord, and so that had a huge impact on my life. But I didn't really, you know, I had a childhood faith. But that was all. And so now I've launched out into the big wide world. I'm 15 years old. Um, I'm in a workshop environment where, you know, the other tradies, you know what, they, they sort of only have three subjects that they talk about over Smoko, and that's what they drank on the weekend, what drugs they took, and who they reckon they slept with, and which is usually grossly exaggerated. But that was the kind of lifestyle that I was suddenly thrust into, and it was a huge crossroads. And as you can imagine... I was incredibly lost. I mean, I was so adrift. I'm just a kid. I'm in the big wide world. Um, I'm I'm, I'm feeling like nobody knows that I even exist. Mm. And 
you know, as a result of that, I'm, I'm, I was just completely discombobulated, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, totally. The, the, the rug, rug ripped out from underneath my feet and just adrift, thoroughly adrift. And I recognized that about myself and it scared me. I was a little bit scared. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I was faced with an entirely new lifestyle that looked like a lot of fun. You know, because the guys at work, they would talk about the things they did on the weekend and how much fun it was. And this was not the lifestyle that I'd grown up with. And it was, you know, attractive from a whole bunch of different levels for a 15-year-old. And I had no boundaries. What a contrast. I'm on my own. There are, there's nobody there to tell me you can't do this, you can do that or otherwise. I was just on my own. I, you know, I had to make these decisions for myself. And it did rattle me a little bit. And as a result of that, you know, there, I went through this experience of, you know, before I turn my back on what I grew up with, I should find out whether there is any, any reality to it. It's a big decision, eh? Yeah. And so to cut a long story short, by the light of an open fire and a kerosene lantern, I sat down one night and started to read the Bible. And uh, that completely transformed my life over a process of a number of months. Wow. Uh, so I, I started to read the Bible. I started in First John. Um, I read a book at the same time that I found a paperback that was floating around randomly in this apple picker's hut uh, called The Great Controversy. I still have that copy. I found it like wow. three years ago. I was like, oh, wow, this is the original copy. How cool is that? Um, started to read that. And that's all about you know the history of Christianity over the mm. last 2,000 years. And it gets into Bible prophecy and end time mm. events. That really developed in me a love of history and prophecy and particularly the books of Daniel and Revelation. And so that's developed a lot in my ministry over the years. And basically what happened was... If you can imagine this, you've got this kid who's lost, who's on his own, who has no idea who he is, where he's going, you know, what his purpose is in life, why he even exists, you know, in this random kind of, you know, apple picker's hut in the bush down in, in southern Tasmania. And that's where Jesus found me. Amen. Man. Because he had not lost track of me. He knew where I was. He knew what I was going through. And he came into my apple picker's heart and he came into my heart and he completely transformed me. And as a result of studying the Word of God and spending some time in prayer, because the Word led me to prayer and that led me to Jesus. That kind Amen. of went, that kind of went in that way. And, uh, you know, after, I don't know, maybe three months, maybe five, maybe six, I can't remember. But over a period of time, I came out the other end of that experience knowing exactly who I was, exactly where I was going, exactly what God had called me to, having no question in my mind as to the fact that God loved me and that he had called to serve me. And that's kind of my testimony in a nutshell. Um, but I was so, so excited about what I was experiencing that I decided to do something about it. Ended up doing holding a small group. Yeah. In my apple picker's hut. Awesome, fantastic. With a, with an open fire, my, my my living room my living room suite was the bench seat out of an XY Falcon. That awesome. was that was, oh, that, wow. was the, that was the living room suite, and we'd sit around this open fire, kerosene lantern, and there was about six or eight of us. I can't remember something like that, and study the Bible together. Awesome. And it was absolutely amazing. And of course, you know, that drove me to study deeper because it's like, oh, suddenly you've got to start preparing Bible studies. Mm. And I guess, you know, the guys off, so it was a bit of an adventure, you know, in the middle of the week, it was an alternative place to, uh, to go and study. But that's where I started in ministry. And um, the, everything that has taken place in my life since then has been based on that experience of giving my life to Jesus Christ. That's so powerful, man. Because like, like, like let me, so let me just get this straight. Let me recap this. So 
you were 15, you were lost, you had no direction, you didn't know who you were, what you were doing, and then you stumble across this book called The Great Controversy, which goes through Christian history. You and the Bible, and those the, two. And the Bible. And you're reading these two things, and it leads you to prayer, leads you to Jesus. And I, just so you have this happen, and then the very next thing that you do is you start sharing that. That relates so well to what we're going to be studying in Scripture today. When you have a real encounter with Jesus, and it changes your life, He changes your life, you just, you just have to share it. Absolutely. I lived there for five years, and during that time, I, uh, you know, I, 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 that was where I really came to the realization that you know, God had called me to do this full time. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that, Lyle. It's so good to hear just a bit more of your story. And uh, it might come out a little bit more as we do this study a little bit later. This is Matt and Josie Minicus and Little Sparrow Psalm. Little Sparrow There's a new approach to help us be more forgiving, a program called Forgive to Live. It's designed to help us all improve our lives. You'll discover the healing power of forgiveness, a relationship breakdown, long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. Through Forgive to Live, you can break this cycle and start living a more forgiving life. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Awesome. So, welcome back. We're going to get into our Bible study portion of our show today. And today, we're going to be looking at an encounter with Jesus that took place by a man who was possessed by demons. Now, I know that's a full on place to start a radio show, but yeah, this wow. is, but know, this is not an amazing back here, story. Robbie. That's right. I figure uh, you just. just just be up front. Just jump in. So, jump in. So we're going to be looking at the story in Mark chapter 5, and it starts in verse 1. And um, we're going to get Katie, if you could, could you read that for us? Mark chapter 1, sorry, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll break this down. No worries. Okay, so verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gatherings. Oh, Here we go. You got it. You got it. It's not. It's not bioluminescence. It's okay. Hey, hey, gatherings. You got it. Gatherings. Next Thank week. You. Here's, your, here's your challenge for next week. I want you to do a Bible study next week. Um, 
that has a passage from Isaiah and it that talks about Mahershal al Hashbaz. Oh, we'll have, we'll have to have you back for that one. I yeah, think we might have to. Uh, you can tell okay. I'll get that one. Continuing on. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always day and night he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. Wow. This guy was really tormented. Oh, fully. Self-harm, the whole thing happening here. Fully. Like, most people probably aren't aware that this topic comes up in the Bible. We see it multiple times. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So this is this is a full on situation. So let's do a quick recap here of what's what, like what's really going on here. Tell me what's what's been happening in this. Yeah, Jesus is sailing. He comes to the shore, and they're confronted with a man who's filled with unclean spirits, as it says. And you get quite a graphic picture of what he looks like. Chain or I'm imagining chains that are broken. Mm. He's got cuts. He's not looking the cleanest. He was obviously a very dangerous person at mm. some point, as you know, because evidenced by the chains yep. mm. that you know people had tried to constrain him and had been unable to do so, because you know this is no normal mental illness. This is no. evil spirits that are involved here, and of course they have powers and strengths that we don't have. And under the influence of those, he was able to just you know whatever they chained him up with, he just smashed them. That's yeah. right. And what a, what a good observation to make. So here's this dude. He's living in the tombs of all places, right? Now, that's a, bit, that's a bit scary in itself, right? He's covered in chains, and it says that they've tried to chain him before, but he's actually broken the shackles. So like supernatural power here. Like this is not normal, like you're saying. And then he comes to this location, right? And who is it that gets out of the boat? Well, it's Jesus and the disciples that get out of the boat. And if I was one of the disciples, I would have been getting straight back in again. And there's a very good chance that that happens, as we'll see, because they they aren't mentioned anymore until the very end of the story. (laughs) They're like, backed right off. And wouldn't that be the experience that we would all take, right? Yeah. Like, here comes this man. He's deranged. He's tormented. We find out from later in in the passage that he actually was not clothed. Like, this is a terrifying picture. Covered in scars, perhaps even covered in blood. Like, this is a full-on experience. And this is somebody who probably hasn't bathed, bathed himself very often. Living in a tomb is an extremely unhygienic place to live, mm. Mm. Uh, particularly if it was a tomb that was, you know, in you know, semi-regular use because they used to bury in those days in a cave. That was, the, that was mm. the preferred method of burial. And so you would have lots of people that would be buried in the same cave. And so he's living in one of these caves where there's, you know, just amongst dead bodies and whatnot. Even this just think of on. disease, like just not even the dirt side of it, but it's just, yeah, infectious and not a, not a place you want to be living at all. That's exactly right. Now, can you imagine, just, just for a moment, just think about the people who would have lived in the town. Well, because it, it, it actually tells us it's a place called Decapolis, which means 10 cities. So there's this, this you might even call it kind of like a, a set of suburbs even. There's this group of villages around that's collectively called the 10 cities. And everybody would have known who this guy was. Like, you've got the burial place that people would go to to bury. Here's this guy. So there would have been so much fear about this man. Yeah, what do you do with somebody that. that you can't chain up? That's right. What do you do? You know, that's, that's, that's going to that's make a person, 
you know, severely, I, if it was me, if I was in that situation, it's like, okay, we've got this dangerous guy, all right, we've got him locked up. Phew, I would be relaxing at that particular point, and then he smashes the chains. You know, you think yeah, about yeah. that. It causes anxiety for everyone in the town. That is scary stuff. Mm. That's exactly right. So this is the scene that Jesus walks out into. And we, we don't hear any more from the disciples, right? Now let's come to verse six, and we're just gonna read this one verse for a start. Well, yeah, go for it, Katie. Verse six. Verse six. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Okay, so let's pause there. Wow. What was the man's response? He worships Jesus. He worships Jesus. Now this is huge. So what is going on here? So this is crazy, right? So here's this man possessed by demons, and when he sees Jesus from afar, not not up close, he recognizes Jesus from a distance. And what's his response? To worship, worship. him. To run to him and to worship him. This is powerful. I'm super keen to know where you're going to go with this one, Robbie. This is super powerful, man. So think about this for a moment. What would you expect to be happening right now? The disciples are yeah, probably I'm like gone. Noping gone, out of there. Right? Here comes the man. He's running towards your boat that Jesus has just stepped out of. You're gone. Mm-hmm. What's Jesus going to do is the question that is just hanging in my mind. What is Jesus going to do when this man comes to him? and bows down and worships. Are you excited to find yeah, out? Yeah, absolutely. I've got me on the edge good, of my good. seat. Excellent. Robbie, don't leave me right, right here. So I was like, okay, ah, let's, let's I need to know. <laughs> so go ahead and read verse seven in it. Uh, the next verse for us. Katie. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Okay, so the demon-possessed man now speaks. And what seems to me is happening here is that the man, the man, not the demons, is the one who's chosen to come and bow before Jesus. Mm. He's reaching out. He sees Jesus. And with what little bit of personal control he has left, he says, I need to get to that man. There's something about that man. I need what he has. And so he runs to Jesus. But when he gets there and he tries to speak, the demons speak out for him. He's not able to actually say what it is that he wants to say. And the demons say, just a crazy thing. Like, think about what they're saying here. They cry out, what have I to do with you, Jesus? Don't torment me. Please. It's a bizarre contrast between worship, worship. and asking Jesus not to torment you. Isn't that an, it's like a, it's a really direct opposite, right? Complete opposite uh, responses right here. Gives us a picture of the, I guess, the internal conflict that this man's probably experiencing quite regularly. Big time, mm. big time. Yeah. And demon possession is not one of those things that takes place, you know, just sort of like randomly. Mm. There's obviously, this guy has a past. There's a history. He has a history. He has delved into, th- into things at some point that he should not have done. He's opened himself up to this. He's become possessed by demons. And uh, there are people who do open themselves up to, you know, possession by demons because it's like, well, it's attractive. You, know, you get lots of power and, you know, there's these supernatural things taking place. And it's like, well, let's experiment with an Ouija board or let's experiment with this experiment with that and what we need to remember the devil has no love for his own and so when you become his servant Mm. he hates you 
just as, as he much as he it. did before. Just Absolutely. as much as he did before, and he has set all of this up to trap you, and he's trapped this guy, and somehow, you know, as you say, with what little uh, self-control he has left, he has recognized that here is a path of escape. Mm. And so he worships, but the demon is not going to let go. That's <laughs> right. And we're going to read through that in, the, in a little bit as we come into it. Some great insights, Lyle. Now, here's again the question that's still hanging. It hasn't been answered. What is Jesus' response going to be? Because the man comes, the demons speak out, the disciples are gone, bro. What is Jesus going to do with this man? Is he going to run away also? It's, it's kind of one of those things where you place yourself in Jesus' shoes. It's like, okay, what would you say? If this happened to you, without the worship bit, but if this happened to you, what would you say? You know, oh. I, I read this passage and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm struck dumb for words. I've like, no, I no idea how I would respond to this. You know, and I trust that the Holy Spirit would give me words to speak at the time, uh, because that's what the promise of the Bible is. Mm. But right now, off the top of my head, I have no idea how I would respond to something like this. Yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've had very limited experience with these kinds of things, but I know people who have had a lot of experience with these kinds of things. People who've experienced it themselves and to hear their stories, it's, you know, it's, it's traumatic. It's challenging. It's difficult. You know, I, I'm a pastor of uh, Coast Life Adventist Church, shameless yeah, plug. absolutely. Out, near, uh, out at Caves Beach on the lake. And um, you can meet with us online on Facebook for some more great discussions. And as soon as the lockdown's over, you'll have Robbie and Katie live in, at, the, in, flesh, in the flesh man. at church. <laughs> absolutely. But I remember having this encounter with someone that I met through the skate park. And he sent me a message at like 11 o'clock one night and just said, hey, do you do exorcisms on houses? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's, a bit, that's a bit of a shock. That's a bit of a surprise, okay? All right, God, I didn't want to have to deal with those kinds of things, but if that's what you want me to do, you got to lead. Absolutely. And so we went and we prayed over this, this young man's house. But those, those, they're difficult situations, and they're not the norm. Mm. And... What is Jesus going to do? So let's read the next verse because my question is, is Jesus going to bounce? Because my fear in that space is to, well, maybe I'll just let, let's hand that over to someone else. Let's leave that to the big dogs and I'm going to go and do something else. What is Jesus going to do? So let's read the next verse. Okay, verse eight, we're reading and it says, for he said to him, come out of the man unclean spirit. Awesome. We're going to pause there. I know that's a short verse. But I want to highlight just one key point here. Jesus was not afraid of this man's baggage. So often for me as a Christian, people come to me and they have serious baggage. And I don't know what to do with it. Like, you ever have that instance? Uh-huh, absolutely, right? yeah. You're running your small group and somebody comes in who's got some serious baggage. They've got demons in their life, whether they be literal or otherwise, and they've got things that you don't know how to deal with. You don't know how to overcome the challenge for them. They might have substance abuse issues that you don't know how to address. They may have a history that you just don't know how to deal with. What do you do? And my natural instinct is retreat, but not Jesus. No. Jesus is not afraid of this man's baggage, and he stands still. He doesn't flee. He doesn't flinch. He's not surprised. He's it would not be frightened. Hard to imagine anyone with more baggage than what this guy's got. Yeah, particularly in what it says. Um, I'm, I'm getting. I'm skipping ahead. I shouldn't. 
Oh, the next oh, verse. Oh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right. Okay, but wait till you get to the next verse. When you get to the next verse, you will see what I'm saying. He's got some serious baggage. And I just want to point out something to you. This is, this is so powerful to me. Jesus is not afraid of your baggage. There is nothing that you have done that is too far for Jesus to forgive. There is nothing that you have got in your past that Jesus is afraid to handle. Absolutely. This gives me so much confidence in the Jesus that I follow. And that's something that everybody can have confidence in. All right, let's keep reading. Let's read up through verse 10. Okay, so verse 9 we're reading from. Then he asked him, what is your name? This is Jesus asking. And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Can, can I butt in? Oh, go for it. I just have to butt in. Oh, I've been hanging out for this verse right here. <laughs> I have to butt in right here. Okay, so he asks what his name is, and it is the demon who replies. Mm. Yeah. And the demon does not say my name. It's like our name. Mm. And he says, we are legion. Now, I want you to stop and think about that for a moment within the context of the period. This is the Roman Empire. And the demon is speaking using language that is familiar and understandable to Jesus, you know, living in the Roman Empire. So enlighten us on what that is, because not everyone that's might about, know. That's about 6,000 up to 7,000 soldiers. Soldiers. And right. so what Roman the demon soldiers. is saying here, there are about six to 7,000 demons living in this person. You know, this is this is not you know no minor infestation of uh, demonic power where somebody's become possessed by a demon. This this guy is absolutely saturated, every cell of his body just soaked with demon possession. It is hard to imagine anyone that would have more baggage mm. than this guy does. And Jesus, you know, he is just completely unafraid of it. I love that, and so. This is just like, well, we're about to pause the story here in a second, but just let that hang in your mind. Jesus is not afraid of your baggage. There's nothing too big for him to address. We're going to go to a song, and that is Lauren Daigle, Light of the World. Thank you. 
That drought breaks with the tears of a mother The baby's cry is the sound of love Come down, come down, Emmanuel Oh, here's the song for the suffering He is Messiah, the Prince of Peace has come Welcome back. We're just uh, partway through our Bible study here. And just a quick recap for those that are just tuning in. So we're looking at the story of Jesus addressing the demoniac in Mark 5. And we've just talked about how this man is, he's he's possessed by not not just one or, or two demons, but thousands. And in that space, we found that Jesus is not afraid of this man's baggage. He's not scared by the situation or circumstance that this man is in. And it's extreme situa- it's this extreme situation. That's very extreme. Very extreme. Awesome. And before we get uh, continue on in the study, guys, we want to invite you. If you are listening, jump onto our Facebook page. That is Faith FM Radio. You can find us on Facebook. And please send in any questions you have about this story. We're going to have some time That's at the right. end 
to have a look at any questions that you know you might be thinking about or have been raised during the time that we have discussing it so please jump onto faith fm facebook and send us a message with a question awesome all right so we're going to jump back into it so we are now up to verse 10 because uh Lyle just just couldn't wait to get into verse to, to verse ten. He had to just yeah, had to get right. his comment in there. So, so we're going to continue. So let's read from verse ten, Katie, through to verse through verse thirteen. Okay. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine or pigs was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran, ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Okay, so this is about the weirdest story in the Bible, isn't it? Continues, it continues, doesn't it? I reckon. It's just, it just gets better and better the whole way you go through it. I, I'm, I'm just keen, to, like, where are you going to go with this one, Robbie? <laughs> I, I'm just like, my mind is melting. All right, so our first main thing that we talked about is Jesus is not afraid of your baggage. And now the story just gets this, this, this like, next level of weird, right? So the demons speak to Jesus because he asked him his name, right? And then he tells them, okay. Please, don't torment us, but instead, don't send us out into nothing. Uh, there's a herd of pigs. Can you send us over there into those? Now, my first reaction would be uh, no, <laughs> right? Fair, fair reaction? Yeah. But here Jesus actually gives them permission. Now, this is such a strange, strange thing. Now, this is not the main point of our study, so I don't want to delve too deep into it for too long, but what do you guys reckon? What do you think? Why, why would Jesus allow this to take place? Because it says there's like 2,000 pigs. Yeah, that's a lot of pigs. You know, by anyone's standard, even in today's world, 2,000 pigs, that's a decent piggery right there. Yeah. That is a, a, lot of, a lot of dollars worth of pigs that these particular people own. And, you know, what's Jesus trying to do here? Agricultural terrorism? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. looks that way from a, from the surface. Mm, so it's it's a bit of an it's it's actually a bit of a tough one when you think about it. It's a bit weird, and I think that one thing that I'd like to highlight out of this is that this is exactly what the demons wanted to do to this man, and what we see by Jesus allowing the demons to enter into the pigs, we see something that that is displayed and that's that's very much the character that that the devil has towards all people he wants to destroy them he wants to destroy us violently he wants to lead us away from god and away from life and away from love and this is what he was demonstrating in that and so i find it very interesting okay so with the with the man because he is a a moral human being who has the opportunity and the chance for salvation somebody who can give his life to God and who has not committed the unpardonable sin. He hasn't gone so far that the Holy Spirit has stopped working on his heart. Mm. God has created and placed a barrier that has stopped these demons from killing him, from forcing him to commit suicide. 
That's right. But just in case you are wondering whether these demons were actually a good thing and whether we should be going and playing with the Ouija boards or whatever and getting involved with the supernatural, Jesus is like, okay, let's just say that we release these demons and allow them to go into a creature that is, it does not have the moral restrictions that you know God would place on a human being. Mm. Uh, let's let's well, there's some pigs over here. That's a, that's a great opportunity right there because there's a whole bunch of symbolism right there that we could talk about. Yeah, there is. Um, so let them go into there, and you will see exactly how demons operate and what their intention is. See the you. fruits of what yeah, exactly. they would have done to that man if given the opportunity. That's, that's exactly right. That's a, that's an awesome thought. Yeah, yeah. Something I really love as well is. Um, you know, they don't battle with Jesus. Jesus has already won. Like, they don't try to fight. They know the battle's already lost, you know. And so... And that's a powerful point. Absolutely. The If we come to Jesus, the battle is won. That's right. The battle is won. There may be difficulties. There may be challenges yes. on the journey. But Jesus has won the battle. Mm. Jesus is stronger. Not only is he not afraid, but he has overcome them. I want to make a point here. Oh, you look like you got something to say. Yeah, our listeners just texted in and they've got a question for you, Robbie. Oh. So um, here it goes. You ready for this? I'm, I don't know if this is a serious <laughs> question because it's right now live. Right, you just, if, you, if it's too hard, just pitch it to Katie. <laughs> um, is it because of this that pigs are unclean? That's a great question. Or is it because they were unclean that they were chosen? That's a great question. And I think my answer to that would be they were already unclean because it's definitely demonstrated prior to in the Bible. So if you read back through, even as early as, as the story of the flood, there's an identification of clean animals and unclean animals. Noah was instructed to have uh, a pair of all the unclean animals and seven pairs of the clean animals aboard the ark. So we know that that distinction was clear from quite early on, at least Noah's day, perhaps earlier. And then in Leviticus, the time of the Israelites in the exodus from Egypt, they also were instructed that Pigs were unclean from that point. So it's it's definitely, I don't remember if that was the former or the latter, but it was definitely that pigs were, were already unclean long prior to this, millennia before this. Yeah, it's going back all the way to Noah. Great it's question, like, by the way. It's like from chapter 7 of the Bible. Yeah. So right from so, the very beginning, they've, so that's they've right. been unclean. That's right. And so it's interesting because maybe he's giving a little bit of a commentary to those perhaps Jewish people who were living in the area who might have been involved in the raising of unclean foods for their own profit. This, you know, another interesting side note. It is because, I mean, archaeologists today will identify a Jewish village as in contrast to a Gentile village within this region as to whether there is, you know, um, bones there from pigs or not. If there's yeah. no, no pig bones, they're like, oh, this is definitely a Jewish village. But if there's pig bones, it's like, well, this is a Gentile village. But they may not have been the case because here you've got these guys and they've got 2,000 of the things. Yeah. You know, they're making some serious money out of this yeah. somewhere along the line. They've got a market for it. That's right. And uh, should they have been involved in that? That's a great question. Good things to ponder. Now, I want to just draw out a point before we jump too far further in the story. Now, I'm just going to... I didn't get anyone to turn there yet, so maybe I'll just read this one. Sorry, we'll get you to read the next one, Katie. Um, So this is James chapter 2 and verse 19. And it says, You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Now, you might ask, why, why are you raising that, Robbie? That's kind of weird. And I want to raise that because of something that I think is very significant that's going on in the story here. In the story, you've got these demons who know who Jesus is, right? It's the demons that address Jesus when the man kneels before him to worship. 
The man has not met Jesus before. He doesn't know Jesus' name, but the demons do. Because we need, we need to remember that the demons weren't created as evil spirits. God didn't create anything that was evil. He created perfection, right? Sinless, perfect beings who operated in selfless love towards others, towards God. These demons were once perfect angels living in heaven with God. And it's does not. This, does, yeah. this, does this? I just have to butt in for a second. Oh, I, I, go for just it. a thought that's just popping into my head. Is this how, from a long from a long distance away, this guy was actually able to recognize that he was in the presence of God because of the reaction of the demons within him to this individual? Did those that's demons react differently to the presence thought. of Jesus than to any other human being? And he's like, okay, something is going on here, and this is what prompts him to worship. From a distance. It could very well be. Somebody who has never met before. Yeah, that's a great thought. I've never even thought of that. That's a great point. And so what we've got in this story is, whether that be the case or not, the demons know who Jesus is. And I think it's incredibly important to highlight this point. And this ties really in with the whole idea of this show. And that's this, that to know who Jesus is, is not the same thing as to worship him. Because here it says in James chapter two, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons believe, by the way, and they shudder, they are terrified, they tremble. And we see that happening in this story. So it's not enough to just to, to know who Jesus is or just to intellectually believe in Jesus. There's got to be something that's deeper, relational, this connecting to God, this surrender of our worship to him. And that's what we see juxtaposed in this story is this man who's worshiping Jesus and these demons who know who Jesus is, who lived in his presence, who know him by name, who used to worship him, and yet now they don't. Let me throw a curveball. Oh, throw a curveball. Okay. So uh, I think it was Peter who said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. What you're saying is that there is more to this than what Peter said. Ooh. So are you contradicting Peter here? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Uh, and the I reason think, I bring this up. I think I, it's a good, re- a good yeah, question. It's actually ask. a serious question because I've had people throw this up at me before and they've said, no, all you need to do is believe. That's right. Now, now my reply to them, of course, was the passage you just read, like, will the demons believe? That's right. You know, so we have to really ask the question, what does believe mean? Because, for example, to the Greeks, belief was purely intellectual knowledge. And we live in a society that's very Greek-based. Our thinking is very Greek uh, in its nature. If I believe what I intellectually believe, but what I intellectually believe and what I do with my real life may have nothing to do with each other, right? Like I can say uh, I believe in God, but then I can act in a way that says I don't, or vice versa. So I think it's really important to come back to the Hebrew understanding and remember that the authors of the Bible were Hebrews. And the Hebrew thinking on this is that belief leads to response. Belief is not intellectual gymnastics. Belief is my whole life. Belief, you know, we've all heard it said, what I believe is not what I say I believe. What I believe is what I do. And I think that's really the purpose of what we're wanting to look at, um, real faith, you know. That's right. It's not something that's just an intellectual knowledge. It's something that's experiential and we see in our actions, we see in our way of living, we see in our words, it's, not just um, it doesn't just finish with the mind, but it you know it plays out in our whole our whole life. That's right. And I just thought of the perfect illustration, right? So I'm married to Katie, and I know her. Now the way that I know her is different than the way that I know anyone else. 
And it's not just an intellectual knowledge. I don't just know about her. I don't just know that her favorite color is yellow or purple, depending on the day. I don't just know that she drives a Ford Fiesta. Well, maybe I don't know. (laughs) But I actually know her personally, and I'm committed to her. And the way that we work in life is that she impacts me. And I impact her, and we, we relate together, and we're, there's a relationship. And that is an, a crucial component of understanding and answering that question. And I think it's also helpful to know that Peter says, when, when they say, How, what must we do to be saved? Believe and repent, right? Absolutely. So there's and, action. And this is one of the problems of you take. One of the problems you get if you take one verse of the Bible and build your entire doctrine on that one verse. That's right. There's a much bigger picture out here. That's it. Than just like, oh, I believe. Okay, that's done. Move on. I'll live the rest of my life however I feel like. You know, salvation has got nothing to do with you know any form of morality that I may or may not have or or whatever. It's just like I, I, I said these words. Now that I've said those words, that's it. I'm sealed. I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah. That's not what the Bible teaches. Yeah. It's about, the Bible teaches surrender to that's God. Right. That's right. All right. So let's, I've, I've lost my train of thought. That was a great question, by the way. Thanks for bringing that out, guys. And thanks for texting in. Please feel free to text in some more. We'll have some question time later on. I uh, sent them through on the Facebook page, I think it was. Yeah, on the Facebook page. Faith FM, Faith FM Australia or Faith FM Radio. Um, that one. Yeah, that one. Faith, Faith FM, FM radio, radio Station. Radio Station, there you go. Okay, what do you, got, what do you got there, Robbie? All right, so let's come back into the story now. And we are up to, what verse are we up to? I think we've read... Uh, through verse to, 13. Yeah, up to 14. All right, so let's read through from 14 through 17. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. All righty. So let's. So what's happened there? We'll do that before we go to a song. Yeah. So I guess we see the the the, the owners of these swine or the pigs. They they come. They're angry. They're upset. What what's happened to our pigs? And fair enough, right? Like that's a lot of coin that they've just lost, right? And in the midst of that, they also confronted with this man who's formerly out of his mind is now of a sane mind. Oh man, and there's so much to say about this portion. Oh, there's so much to say, so much to say in so little time. But what we do have before we go to, the, go to a bit of a break is I just want to identify there's Jesus is here and here's a man whose life has been transformed immediately. And when the people come, there's a reaction that they have and they're presented with two things, what they have lost financially and what this man has gained eternally. And how are the people going to respond and react in that circumstance is a very important question because it actually plays a lot into our own lives. And this is speaking to Christians in particular. How do we respond to someone whose life has been transformed by Jesus when it costs something so much? We're going to go to Amy Cherry when the song titled Yours. Worthless, unholy, a 
speck in time and space I am weak and unqualified I fall so far short So far short Until I found your grace Is like filthy rags I'm swayed by sin so easily Tainted with scars and weaknesses I fall so far short So far short Until I found your grace Gleam. Oh, 
Welcome back. So we're coming up to verse 11, no, sorry, verse 14 through verse 17 that we've just read. And what we've followed up in the, in the story so far, Jesus meets the demoniac. He starts speaking to him, allows the demons to go into the pigs. And now we've just read that the people who were the owners of the pigs have now come back to where Jesus is and they've met the whole situation. They've lost their 2,000 pigs They see this man whose life has been transformed, seated and clothed and in his right mind. What jumps out to you out of that? Okay, there's a a massive contrast here. And it's going to raise, you know, huge questions in their minds. First of all, from a very human perspective, you would be like, you know, here you've got some farmers whose livelihood has just been ripped out from underneath of them in a brutal manner. What is God doing here? Yeah, fair you know, question, right? And, 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 you know, if I was the farmers, I'd be walking up to Jesus. You know, I guess my first natural reaction is like, what on earth are you doing? You've just destroyed us. Mm. But the simple reality is that they shouldn't have had those pigs in the first place. That's true. Yeah, the Bible was absolutely crystal clear. God's people weren't to be involved in that kind of uh, business or trade or to be working with those kinds of animals and that, you know, these were unclean animals that should not have, you know, have no part with the nation of Israel. And so from that perspective, the next thing that goes through my mind is, okay, if they were to come to Jesus with that in their mind, what are they going to say? Yeah. You know, how do you defend yourself? Uh 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like pigs, you know, you yeah. wiped out my pig. My, you know, it's not like they were sheep or goats or cows or something like this that were a clean animal. This was an animal that was forbidden to the nation of Israel, and for very, very good reason. You eat dead pigs, and you can catch the same kinds of bugs as we've got floating around right now as a result of eating dead bats. Mm. And the Bible condemns the eating of dead pigs in exactly the same passage that it condemns the eating of dead bats. You know, and, and if you look at the, 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 the 12 pandemics that we have had in the last 102 years, every single one of them, bar one, comes about as the result of eating animals that the Bible said not to eat. So there's a very good reason why God said this. Your, yeah. your Spanish flu, which yeah. was so much worse than COVID-19, uh, was the result of pigs. It came from pigs. And so this is why God said, don't have these animals. Just don't even have them in your in your country. Just get rid of the things. Yeah. And so really they don't actually have a leg to stand on. And you don't see them coming to Jesus and saying, hey, you've kind of robbed us or stolen from us because they know. Yeah. They know they're in the wrong. It strikes me. I think we can respond in different ways when we're confronted with maybe a wrong that we've done. Either we get defensive and we kind of try to blow it off or in this case, they're trying to shoo Jesus away. Or you can respond like the demon-possessed man originally did and he fell down in worship. He actually turned to Jesus rather than trying to turn away from him. That's a great point. Now, I want to bring out something in this. So we, we talked a little bit just before the break about how they're, they're confronted. Here's a man whose life has been changed. Now, everybody who's coming to meet this situation knows this, right? Everybody in the town knows who this guy is, knows that he's the guy who's been demon-possessed, who lives in the tombs, who cuts himself and howls all night long, who runs around naked. They know who this guy is. There's, there's going to be a terror about him. There's also probably a bit of terror about who this guy is who's more powerful than that. And when they come to this situation, it just blows my mind to think about. You have two things in front of you. A financial loss. That's tough. That's real. Like that's food on the table for your family. What's going on? But then you also have this huge miracle where you see a person, somebody whose life is incalculably valuable, whose life has been destroyed and tormented, and they have tormented you and your town, and you see him healed, right? How are you going to respond to that? Because in my mind, the response ought to be, praise God, right? Yeah, if it's going to cost me 2,000 pigs to save a person's life, am I willing to pay that price? Absolutely. You know, and is a person's life worth 2,000 pigs. I you know, think so. In, in today's world, would you sacrifice 2,000 pigs to save a human life? And the answer is actually Absolutely, yes, yes. You would. Absolutely. That's right. You know, it, it would just, how many pigs got sacrificed when the latest version of the swine flu, you know, ran through That's Asia? Right. And they, they just, just got rid of them. They got rid of them. because For the that, sake of saving human life. It's a great But when COVID-19 came along, they didn't just get rid of all of the people. That's right. Who caught the disease. And so there's a there's a very big value difference between pigs and humans. And here you've got a human who is worth infinitely more than pigs. That's right. Absolutely. And it's just so interesting. Now we're going to get into a little bit of just there's a, there's a there's a word that is used a few times in this story that we're going to bring out in a moment. And it's just going to come up a little bit here in verse 17 it says that they began to plead with Jesus. Right? They didn't praise, they didn't celebrate, they didn't say high five, well done, dude. 
Good so, job. So they're pleading, Thanks for saving they're our pleading, town from this guy. They're pleading with him to stay because he does such amazing things. That's what you'd hope, right? Incredible. Please stay. It's like, no. wow, I've never met anybody like this who can transform <laughs> a person's life. So we don't ever want you to leave. Just stay here in Decapolis. We've got 10 cities and they're great cities. That's right. That's what you'd expect, let's, right? Let's take, take you on a tour of those cities. But that's exactly the opposite of what happens. What they beg him. They're begging Jesus, please, please leave. We don't want you, and it doesn't matter how many people are going to be saved. It costs too much, and we don't want you. Please, we're begging you, leave. You know, you think about those people in Decapolis that gave their lives to Jesus Christ after this event. Oh, well, you're jumping ahead. Oh, am I? You're jumping too far ahead. No, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put oh, the plug on that okay, one, sorry, because okay. we're going to go there. We're going to go there. But it takes something, it takes a couple steps to get there that I don't want to miss. So we're going to keep reading here. So Katie, can I get you to read for us 18 through verse 20? So this is the rest of the story. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged him that he might go with him, meaning Jesus. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Okay, this is, this is so, so astounding. Now, I wanna, I'm a word guy. Let's just be honest. I'm a songwriter. I'm, I like to speak. I've been talking this whole time. Words are my thing. There's a word that occurs in this story three times and it shows up and the Bible is written in such a way that repetition becomes very important. The first place that this word shows up and the word is begged is verse 10. It says also the demon possessed man or the demons begged Jesus that they would not be sent out of the country. So they begged Jesus, don't send us out. Send us into the pigs and Jesus says, okay. Jesus responds positively to the begging, right? Okay, so check this out. Then the next place where the word shows up is that he be they begged to go into the pigs. Again, he says, okay, you can do that. I won't send you out. I'll send you into the pigs. And then you go to verse 17. It says they began to plead. Now, in Matthew's account, he uses the word begged again. He says, the people begged Jesus, please leave. And Jesus responds with, okay. And then the one guy, the one guy who begs Jesus for something that's good, the demon-possessed man goes, dude, I want to come and I want to follow you. I want to be with you where you are. He begs Jesus, take me with you. And what does Jesus say? Bump on. Sorry, bro. <laughs> Not the response I see again. where you're going here, me. right? He says yes to the demons. He says yes to the people and no to the person who is converted. That's right. Now, this is so odd. So odd. Now, now let, me, let me just, oh, there's so much to say. Have there ever been times in your life where it seems like Jesus is saying yes to everyone else but no to you? Mm. Where the one thing that you think is going to be the best thing, Jesus says no. The one thing that you think is the best for you. Jesus says no. And I want to just highlight here before we go to a break that Jesus says no to this man. And in verse 19, it says, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said something else. He said, no, 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 you can't come with me. You can't be with me. Now he says, go home. Go home and tell your friends 
all that God has done for you. Go tell them the many things that God has done for you. Go tell them, proclaim, declare what God has done for you. And that's where we're going to pause.
team here at Faith FM want to encourage you to be God's hands and feet in your communities, to stay positive and to stay connected in this virus season. Remember to call your friends and family and ask if there's anything they need, whether it's food, some toilet paper, or just a chat. Little things like this make a big difference to loved ones who just want to know that you're safe and sound. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
That was Fernando Ortega, let the words of my mouth. So we've come to the end here, just about, of our Bible study, and we've, we've just come to the portion in the in this story where, where Jesus is asked by the demoniac, the, the, the man who had been demon-possessed and is now healed. He begs him, let me go with you, and Jesus says, no. No, you can't come with me. Instead, I want you to go home and tell your friends all that the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. You're looking at me funny over there, guys. You're looking at me funny. I'm, I'm, I'm keen to hear where you're going to go with this oh, one. Oh, so where good. Where are we headed? So okay, good. because it's, yeah, we, we, we kind of finished with that really strange thing where, you know, everything that the wrong people beg Jesus to do, he does, and everything that the right person begs Jesus to do, he doesn't do. And which begs a question, right? Which begs a question. <laughs> What's going on here? I'm just like, okay, where are we going with this So one? why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus take the one man who's interested in following him out of this entire region? Why would he refuse to allow him to come with him and be his disciple? Like, you got to think about this. This man has had how much time with Jesus? Like, it doesn't tell us directly in the story, but like, what do you reckon, Katie? How long has he been there? Oh, moments. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking a little bit more than moments. Yeah. But not a lot. But not no. a lot, right? Because you know, the, How the, long the does owners it take of the pigs come. The- you know, you've got a few different things happening here. You've got half a day max. Totally. You know, that's not much. So we've got potentially hours. This man has had potentially up to a few hours with Jesus. I mean, how right? long have you had with Jesus, Robbie? In comparison. Oh, in comparison. Oh, the last 15 years of my life. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's like, a big difference, isn't it? <laughs> that's it's a, a big difference. Three hours... 15 years it's a huge difference so this man has had very little training if any he's had you know he's not like one of the disciples he hasn't been living with jesus for x amount of months or years seeing all that he's done this man has got one thing one thing jesus says go out armed with one thing your story you have just had a life-changing encounter with the son of god God in the flesh, I want you to go and just tell your friends what God has done for you. And then it says, amazingly, or not so amazingly, because if Jesus has just done that for you and he says to go do that, I can't imagine wanting to do anything else. But the man goes and it says that everybody marveled. And that's the end of the story right there. Everybody marveled. We have no idea how they responded except they were like gobsmacked. Whoa, what just happened? But if we go to Mark 7, verse 31 to 33, Mark 7, 31 to 33, we're going to read what actually takes place because this man obeyed Jesus and instead of going with him, went and started to declare or proclaim the story of what God had done in his life because he encountered Jesus and he was never the same. So let's read that, Katie. Awesome. I love this because we actually get a bit of an answer to the cliffhanger that the chapter or the story finishes on. So verse 31 of chapter 7, it says, Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis, the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment on his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. What a change. What a contrast. What a... Keep going. Verse 33. Oh, 33 as well. Sorry, I left it at 20, uh, 32. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers on his ear, and he spat and touched his tongue. Continuing. 
And then he says some things and he heals the man. We'll, we'll summarize that there. So Jesus comes back to this region at a later time, a region where every single person except the one man that he had healed begged him to leave. We don't want you, Jesus. Get out. Leave us alone. One guy's life has been transformed and he starts to tell his story of what God has done for him. Everybody's amazed. But when Jesus comes back, did you catch us did you catch a significant word there that we've been talking about? I think there might have been the begged. word begged. Mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. right, isn't it? No, yeah. I know that's right. It says that the multitude, begged. not the man, the multitude brought a sick person to Jesus and they begged him. Note the word. The people who begged him to depart are now begging him, heal this man. You know, it kind of sends chills up and down my spine when I think about this. I kind of put myself in the shoes of the people of Decapolis who have begged Jesus to go and to depart. And then I think about that time period, you know, after Jesus has ascended into heaven and they suddenly realize he only had a three and a half year ministry. Mm. And we had the opportunity of begging him to stay and we begged, begged him, him to go. Yeah, that's a great connection. And so, you know, we... We did that, and, and and because of that, yeah, he came back through, the Bible says, our region, and he healed this other guy, but we could have had so much more. Yeah. yeah. You know, talk about missed opportunities. Imagine what they're thinking after Jesus has gone back to heaven, and they're like, he's gone? Yeah, totally. And we only had, you know, these short days with him, and we could have had maybe a year it just it's like wow you know it really it really inspires in me when you get that opportunity to spend that time with Jesus just grab it with both hands hang on to it don't let it go it's going to be worth every minute that's exactly right absolutely so we've now come with with this last little bit of time that we have here i think this is crucial this is the point of the show the point of the show is to make real life application i love what you've just shared there Lyle we're not guaranteed tomorrow I might get hit by a bus on the way home today. I got to seize the moment, seize the day. And I know Jesus is not afraid of my baggage. So what am I waiting for? What are you waiting for? Seize that moment. What are some other things that we can draw out of this story? I love in this story that this man who has encountered Jesus has no training, has no equipping, has no experience, no education. He's not a preacher. He's not a pastor. He's not a priest. He's none of these things. He's not a theologian. He's a man who met Jesus today, whose life was transformed. And Jesus says, you are qualified for this job. You go tell your story. And guess what? He's the first evangelist. The first Christian evangelist is this man who goes and preaches to the multitudes. And the multitude, when Jesus returns, is ready to receive him. Okay, you just blew my mind right there. You just need your that was story. The fir- this was the first Christian evangelist? I think so. Wow. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? He's the first missionary. It's awesome. Isn't that amazing? He's sent out before the disciples are. He, I, you're absolutely correct. You are absolutely 100% correct, and I have never seen that before. You do not need heaps of knowledge to witness. Let me say that again to you if you're listening. You don't need heaps of knowledge or education to witness for Jesus. You need an experience. And you can start right now. Jesus is bigger than your baggage, and he's got plans for your life. 
And so this is where the rubber meets the road. What are you going to do with the time you've got now? This is the Porter's Gate. Love is patient. Love will never love fail. Is kind. It has no arrogance or pride. It seeks the good of others first. It keeps no record of wrong or hurt. Finds no joy in wickedness, but rejoices in the truth. Through it all, it will endure. Love will never fail. Love will never, never fail. Welcome back. So we've just concluded our Bible study, and we're just drawing out some some real-life applications. So let's just do a a bit of a a recap on some of the main points that we got out of this. Point number one, Jesus is not afraid of your baggage. Whatever the demons are in your life, whatever the past history that you wrestle with is not 
a terrifying thing to Jesus. He's able to address it. He's able to deal with it. He's able to solve it for you if you just bring it to him. What else did we learn from today's lesson? A great takeaway I really that you shared earlier I loved was if you have a story, which is if you've encountered Christ, you have a story, you can share that. And that's going to have an awesome evangelistic impact on the lives of those around you. So not only does Jesus impact you, but he impacts other people through your story and your encounter with him. So powerful. If you've encountered Jesus, you've been equipped to be a minister of the gospel. Absolutely. That's what that's all it takes. That's a powerful thing. God is working through ordinary people. Look how many people he did it through in scripture just like this man. I love the concept of Jesus saying yes to all the bad guys and no to the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> because it really helped me to understand why God sometimes says no. Yeah. You know, when Jesus said no to the good guy who was begging him to stay, he must have wondered why? Why? Mm. What? You know, I've spent we've spent you know a couple of hours here at the most, and you won't stay, and I need you. But Jesus can see a bigger picture, and it comes down to that you know reality for us as human beings that we see a small picture, God sees a big picture, and we often have no idea what is going on behind the scenes. But if we trust God, you know. All things work together for good to those who are uh, who love God and love, are called love according God to his called purpose. purpose. That's, That's the one. <laughs> That's it. Romans 8.28. What a powerful promise. And I love that. Like if we could sum that up, I'd say it this way. God's plans for your life are far bigger and far better than anything you could ever dream or imagine for yourself. This man probably had no idea that he was going to be in the record books of all history as the first Christian evangelist. Yeah. And yet he is. And how many people will be in heaven because of this man's story? Well, the Bible says multitudes. Came multitudes, to right? And not just that, but guess what? They recorded his story. <laughs> we're reading about it. And we're reading it right now. And two thousand years later, we're studying it. That's exactly right. So there's so much to be gained out of this story. And I want to just highlight one more, one more little interesting detail from the story. The man was naked when he came to Jesus, and it says that he was clothed. And it doesn't mention that anyone else came in between those two points. So here's a question for you. Where do you think the clothes came from? Maybe Jesus himself. Was it Jesus' own robe that he took off himself to clothe the man? Oh, Oh, the symbolism of that. Oh, Oh, my goodness. Oh, 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 wow. Because Jesus is coming in when we've got robes of, of filthy rags. We're covered in sin. We're covered in wrongdoing and guilt and shame. And he takes that off of us and he clothes us with his own robe of his own righteousness. Amen. Salvation by faith, my friend, right there. Boom. So powerful. So thank you guys so much for joining today. It's been such a pleasure to have you along. And thank you to Lyle for coming all the way from The Breakfast Show. He's been in the studio a long time today. So we just want to thank you so much for being our, our, our lovely other co-host. Not quite as lovely as my wife, but lovely awesome. just the same. And I just want to thank Katie for, for coming along and doing such a wonderful here. job. Great to be here. And uh, just we just look forward to, to catching up with you guys uh, next week. As we come back to talk more about real faith, and for those that are not listening in live, you can catch us here at the time that works for you, but we'll be here next Thursday, 3.30 to 5.30, and just remember that a real faith is a lived faith.